I was definitely waxing philosophical. So maybe it's probably a good thing that that's not out there, but. We can uh, bring it back anytime. It. Just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's start the show off with a no-duh kind of moment. As a man, I've never had a menstrual cycle or period in my life, and I have no clue how that feels. And along those same lines, I have no idea how having a menstrual cycle would impact my ability to train hard in the gym or perform in my given sport. However, just because I've never had to deal with that doesn't mean the clients and athletes that I've trained over the years have not. And if I'm being honest, in the past, it was something I was uncomfortable talking about probably because I felt like I was invading someone's privacy or just didn't want to feel awkward having the discussion. But as we learn more about the human body and the role the menstrual cycle has on a woman's ability to perform in the gym or on the field, I feel like this is a discussion we have to be having if at all possible. And that's why today I brought Julia Glanz on this episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast. Julia is a registered dietitian with a master's degree in nutritional science, a CSCS, a former college strength and conditioning coach, and a former Division I soccer player. Julia's education in nutritional science, exercise science, and physiology, combined with years of her own personal struggle with hormone imbalances, has fueled her passion for helping women optimize their hormones. Julia has an online coaching business where she's now helped thousands of women through virtual programs, courses, one-on-one coaching, and her ebook, A Women's Guide to Optimizing Health, hormones, and metabolism. Julia also consults and collaborates with colleges, fitness companies, and individual coaches and physical therapists to provide education on nutrition and women's hormones. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, as I outlined above, this is a topic and discussion that, as a male, I've struggled to have with my female clients and athletes over the years. However, after talking with people like Julia, Kim Shaper, Menahem Brody in previous episodes, it's absolutely something we need to be diving into more. So in today's episode, we're going to start by talking about the four phases of a woman's menstrual cycle and how to optimize both their training and nutrition throughout. After all, when should you be pushing hard? And on the flip side, when should you be holding back a little bit? For those of you who, like me, were uncomfortable with the topic, we're going to give you some ideas on how to start the conversation so you can give your female clients and athletes their best chance for success in the gym. From there, we're going to dive into a handful of related topics, starting with menopause. I feel like this topic gets brushed under the rug quite a bit, but how do we adapt our training strategies with a woman who's aging and hitting menopause? And finally, we're going to wrap the show by talking about intermittent fasting and how to help our young female athletes learn how to fuel their body effectively without falling into the trap of the fat loss industry and the comparison game in social media. Quite simply, there's a ton of great information in this episode, and if you work with female clients or athletes at any age, I think you're going to find some value in it. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump into this awesome episode with Julia Glantz. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry? Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you. People who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym 
to help your client squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome technique. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the CERT only open twice per year for a limited time. But if you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, that's completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you'll join us when the next Complete Coach Certification launches. Julia, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes, so thank you for having me on. First of all, this is such a full circle moment, and your podcast was one of the first podcasts I started listening to when I started my career as a college strength coach. So I appreciate you and I value you putting out information out there for all of us to consume. And yeah, so I'm honored to be on. But a little bit about myself. I am a registered dietitian. I work with women to help them optimize the key hormones affecting their weight, mood, metabolism, menstrual cycle, energy, and we do this by nutrition and other lifestyle strategies. Prior to that, I was a college strength and conditioning coach and just made that transition and now, you know, have an online practice where I get to help women and share education and I love it. That's awesome. I love it. So talk to me. What got you into the world of physical preparation? Was it getting ready to play soccer or sports? Like what got you into this space originally? Yes. So grew up playing soccer. I was never the fastest or fittest. I was actually like the most unfit person on the team. (laughs) And I remember there was this one specific game. I was bent over in the middle of the soccer game with terrible period cramps. My coach thought it was because I was out of shape, which I was. So it was you know, a combination of the two things, but bent over in the middle of the game. My coach called me out after that game and was like, Julia, if you continue to do what you're doing, your soccer career is going to be done. And he was referring to like my lack of fitness and not prioritizing that. And obviously I was like, you know, soccer was my life, wanted to play in college, like wanted to be Mia Hamm when I was younger, you know, like I was all in. And so hearing that, I'm like, okay, I got to get my, you know, butt into gear. (laughs) And I spent every single day in the gym after that. I was full force, like, what can I do to get better? And that was when I was like 14, 15. So started diving into training, dialing in my nutrition, you know, the best of my capabilities at that age. And I knew from that age, I wanted to be like a nutritionist and personal trainer. Had no idea what that looked like at the time. But Anyway, fast forward, ended up getting a full ride to play soccer at the University of Arizona, came in as one of the like fittest people on the team as a freshman. I, I, I was that athlete who did every single thing written on the summer program. I did not skip yeah. anything. I was the best at following those directions because I loved it. Anyway, got introduced to the weight room in college, fell in love with the process of training, strength and conditioning, because... First of all, when you're, you know, that out of shape at the beginning, like everything works. And so all of a sudden I'm like, wow, this is amazing how much your body can transform, your performance can transform. And like that not only helped my confidence playing, but also outside of, you know, training and playing soccer as well. So anyway, my, my strength coaches had a huge impact on my life in college. And I said, you know, from that moment on, like if I can make this impact on even one person, like I've done my job. And so I spent yeah. every waking second I could in the weight room, just being a sponge to my strength coaches, learning as much as possible, and then became a strength coach after 
I got done playing soccer, like did my first internship that spring season. And yeah, the rest was history. Yeah. Kind of just became obsessed with, you know, learning as much as possible. That's every coach at the beginning. You're like, how much can I learn? There's so much to learn. I know nothing. Like, I still know nothing, but you know, so so what position did you play? I got to know, like what position did you play? (laughs) I played defensive center mid. So my job was see ball, get ball. Okay. Yeah. No, I like that. (laughs) And, And a decent amount of running. It's not like you're one of those that's out wide running up and down the field, but if you're not in shape, it's noticeable right? Because generally something bad is going to happen if you're not running as much as you should. Yes, exactly. You got to be in shape. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. So collegiate strength coach, you know, like you said, the rest they say is history, but it's not because you didn't stay there. Right. And, and you've really evolved and it's been cool to watch that evolution. So walk us through your career from, you know, I think I'm going to be a collegiate strength coach and I'm going to learn everything about S and C and talk to us about where you're at now. Like, give us that career path because I think a lot of people that are listening to this are like, oh, Julia's got this awesome job and she works online and remote. So talk to us about that evolution and that career path that you've kind of carved out for yourself. Yeah, so in college, I my major was like to become a dietitian. So it was dietetics. Now I took chem and bio during my sophomore year, during season, almost failed both. So I was like, okay, this career is not for me. I'm not smart enough. Like I I saw my two roommates who are still my best friends, like passing with flying colors. They're both physical therapists. I'm just like, okay, I'm not cut out for this, nor do I want to go to medical school. Like I want to be a college strength coach. I'm going to switch my, you know, major. Anyway, I ended up creating Mm -hmm. my own major which is no surprise. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I studied nutrition and physiology without the sciences. Fast forward, I ended up having to take those, you know, nutritional biochemistry, microbiology, all of those courses anyway to get into grad school. But after college, I was like strength coach 100%. Now, once I got into the field of college strength and conditioning coach, like as a strength and conditioning coach, I... It wasn't necessarily what I, you know, envisioned it to be as an athlete going right. into the field, right? right? You see all the other, the back end stuff right. and it became more data driven. And I was very much like not the data driven. I didn't want to look into polar, like that just didn't light me up, you know? Yep. So I would find myself watching YouTube videos of like nutritional biochemistry and substrate utilization and like all things nutrition. And I'm like, okay, it's time to shift and go back to school. Like it was just in my heart to go back, become a dietitian and dive into that role. And during grad school, getting my master's in nutritional biochemistry, I was very lucky and met a bunch of amazing humans who were already in this online space. And so I was like, wow, this is possible. What? So anyway, worst decision of my life, but also best decision of my life. Started a business, an online business while I was in grad school. Talked about a stress load, but I ended up putting out my first program in 2017. It was like a strength training program. Actually, it was a body weight program. Anyway, I saw it did really well. I saw what was possible in the space and I went all in. And I was like, this is it. And I I knew nothing. I just kept learning and learning, like, what do I need to know for this or this? And, you know, you still kind of, everything just unravels as you move on to the next thing. But like everything is figure outable, you know? And Mm -hmm. I just kept trying to sort out how I can make this business actually work for me online. And here we are. Okay. So before we dive into the main like topics of today, walk us through what an average day looks like, because you work online, right? And I do some online work and I've been in the online space for a while now. I think a lot of times people perceive it as, oh, you create a couple reels, you sit back, you're just like collecting checks all day, my ties <laughs> at the pool. Talk to me about what a real day looks like working for yourself online. Totally. So I 
do not set an alarm to wake up. So I allow my body to sleep in until it wakes up. I don't start calls until 11. So I, after I got out of the college setting, I'm not a morning person. And like in the college setting, it's like you are up and at them first thing, like first. And even as a coach, a lot of coaches, you know, you have to train your clients in the morning because that's that's the only time they can. Exactly. So I do have, you know, a little bit of flexibility there that I acknowledge, but yeah, so everything starts at 11 in terms of like my client load on calls and all of that. And prior to that, I take care of any like communication with messaging my clients. That's my time to dive in and read and learn, work on the back end stuff, put out any fires that may have like (laughs) come up overnight. So I do all of that in the morning, start client calls throughout the day, and that can go anywhere from like 11 to 6, obviously spread out throughout the day. I'll train at some point in the middle. I'll film some videos in the middle of that. I don't necessarily have, you know, a set structure of when I batch content because I've noticed that for me, I have to feel on. Like if I'm not on, I'm going to come across not on and I'm not going to film a video like that. I'll go on stories, of course, but so yeah, if I'm feeling more, you know, introverted or whatever, I'm doing things behind the scenes. And then at night is when I hit my creative zone of genius. And that is when I have created every single essentially product or idea or course between the hours of like 10 p.m. and midnight. So, oh wow. Okay, so yeah. you're definitely like the PM chronotype. Yes, like 100%. trending later if possible. Yeah. Yeah, so like so, typical bedtime is like 12 to 8, 12:30 to 8:30. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. like my And I used to feel so ashamed about that because in the college setting, it's like they make you feel like, you know, you have to be up and at them and like early like it's just so set in that like early is best. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like did not fit that. And I used to feel guilty about it. And now I just own it because it works for me. Yeah. Do you know Joel Jameson? I'm sure you know of him. Oh, of course. Yes. Oh, no, I haven't met him, but love his stuff. Well, we'll have to fix that. We'll have to fix that. (laughs) But Joel and I, when we hang out, because I'm always going towards his time zone and he has very PM chronotype based, like by the time he's hitting his stride, it's like 10 or 11 I'm like yawning. I'm like, dude, I'm going to bed. And he's like talking to me about (laughs) mitochondria and energy pathways. And I'm like, dude, like, this is awesome. Can we have this discussion in the morning? Because my brain is not there. So I totally get it. Okay, so let's dive in because I have so many cool topics I want to talk to you about today. And I realize this first one is a big topic, but let's just go for it. Let's go in. So probably 70 to 80% of the listeners to this show i.e. men, (laughs) don't have a menstrual cycle and probably don't put a ton of time and effort into thinking about how it impacts the training of their female clients and athletes. So for dummies like me, could you start by just outlining the various phases and maybe more importantly, how we should adjust our training as a result of these various menstrual cycles and phases? Yes. So huge question. And I'll kind of give a bird's eye view of the phases and then we can, you know, dial a little bit deeper into training and fluctuations, sure. et cetera. So for sure. four phases of the menstrual cycle, menses, follicular phase, ovulatory phase, luteal phase, in that order. Menses phase is day one of period until obviously your period is done. However, the follicular phase also encompasses the time of your period in that it starts with your hormones are at its lowest level and around day three-ish, estrogen starts to rise. Estrogen peaks about two days before ovulation and estrogen peaks to trigger an LH surge. And that LH surge triggers the release of an egg, which is ovulation. So ovulation is one day event. It is the main event of the menstrual cycle. And then after ovulation, your hormones start to dip And that is when you enter the luteal phase. So right after ovulation, the luteal phase starts, which lasts about two weeks up until your period starts again. So within these four phases, you're getting a variety of fluctuations happening. So I kind of briefly just mentioned 
during menses phase, during your period, day one and two, your hormones are at its lowest point. Estrogen starts to rise. We also get a peak in testosterone right before ovulation as well. It takes a little dip after ovulation, and then we start to build progesterone. Progesterone is the dominant hormone during the luteal phase. We also get another rise in estrogen, but the main focus is building that progesterone during the second half of your cycle, your luteal phase. And then a few days before your period starts again, your hormones take a dip, and that's what triggers the release of your endometrium lining shedding. So your period. So that's kind of the fluctuations of the menstrual cycle. Now, when we talk about training, this is, I can talk about this forever, but essentially <laughs> we are, are, because of these hormone fluctuations, they are a woman's superpower and we can use them to our advantage in terms of training adaptations and recovery. So during the first half of your cycle, you know, Day one and two of your period, you're going to find that most women are a little bit fatigued. They're releasing shedding blood, like their energy levels are a little bit lower. So honor that for whatever they are feeling specifically. Once they get their energy back is a great time to go after it in the weight room, in conditioning, in sprints, in building strength, all of that, because estrogen supports muscle function, muscle recovery, uh, glucose sensitivity, and also makes us more stress resilient. So we can take those stressors of training and adapt from them a lot better during the first half of the cycle than the second half of the cycle. During the second half of the cycle, when we're building progesterone, Progesterone increases our body temperature, our energy needs. It increases insulin resistance, at least at the level of the muscle, because we are putting all of, not all of, that's dramatic, but we're putting a lot of yeah. effort into building our endometrium lining in the event of a potential pregnancy, whether or not you are trying to get pregnant. So glucose protein is going to building that nice and robust endometrium lining and not so worried about recovering from exercise at the level of the muscle that we're working at, right? So right. that is something to consider during the second half of the cycle in terms of recovery, power output, all of that. And on top of that, rate of perceived exertion during the second half of your cycle, especially that week that progesterone's building and peaking, women do experience a higher level rate of perceived exertion. So that's when, you know, you're lifting, you can lift like 300 pounds during, okay, you can lift like 50 pounds during, you know, the first <laughs> half of your cycle, that same 50 pounds is going to feel like 300 during the second half of your cycle, mm -hmm. at least it can. And it's not because you are decreasing your adaptations. It's not because you're getting weaker, which a lot of women at least in the general population, like experience, and then they just like say, oh, this isn't working. No, it's just your body's needs are changing during that time. And that's okay. It's just you just should modify your, you know, training accordingly. So right. what that looks like is, as I mentioned, going intense, obviously utilizing recovery days between each intensity day, high intensity days. And then during the second half of your cycle, dialing back the intensity you can still lift. And this is like a common theme that I'm seeing that is driving me bananas from other people talking about like cycle syncing your workouts who don't necessarily have a training background, but they say like, oh, during your luteal phase, just, you know, walk and do yoga. And it's like, you're not going to adapt from training if you're training one <laughs> week out of the month, you know? Right. So just honoring you know, the individual of where they're at in their menstrual cycle and adjusting and doing like an undulating programming as you would normally right. do, but just, you know, sync it to their cycle when they are naturally yeah. better at, at adapting during the first half and then a little bit less better <laughs> at adapting during the second yeah. half. So prioritizing recovery and not going for, you know, PRs and you can, and I will preface this and say like, 
The woman's body is capable of doing anything at any time, period. Especially competing because your drive and motivation and adrenaline and all those things will trump all. But when you're dialing in your performance, you can, if I should say, if you can, you would really support your female clients by honoring these natural hormone fluctuations throughout the month. Yeah. Well, in some ways, it seems like it would almost make it easier to write a really solid training program if you know these things, right? Like you kind of know, okay, these are the two weeks where I can really push things. So maybe those are my higher volume or higher intensity weeks. And then these next two, it's like, we're not just going to walk and do yoga, (laughs) you know, maybe a little bit more intense than that. Those are great options, but okay, we're just going to dial things back a little bit, knowing that there are other things going on internally that take precedence. And then, hey, when we get on the back end of this, then we can push hard again. Yeah, exactly. And empowering your clients and like just feeling empowered in your body and understanding that from a female perspective is huge because you can push in the times when you know, you're in that first half and you can also work with your coach to modify and have a like, you know, two way communication system of, hey, this is how I'm feeling right now in conjunction to all other life stressors going on to poor sleep, which will influence recovery and output in your training as well, which can happen, you know, during that second half of your cycle, too. So And then obviously utilizing nutrition as a strategy to support, you know, your training as you always should, but especially during that second half of your cycle to get the most out of your training and recovery. I love it. All right, my friend, quick break in the episode to remind you that if you're a trainer, coach, or rehab professional, and you want to level up your skills on the gym floor, writing programs, assessing your clients and athletes, you got to check out the complete coach certification. This program is the 23 plus year culmination of the things that I've done in the gym, of the struggles that I've had, because there was no system like this when I was coming up. I was following the standard textbook. Everybody was squatting, bench pressing, and deadlifting, three by 10, you know, standard linear periodization over many, many weeks, months, or even years. Man, look, that's not how humans work. That's not how training works. So if you want to get better at assessing your clients and athletes, if you want to understand how I use the assessment process to pick the right exercises to effectively program my fat loss programs, my gin pop clients, my power lifters, the athletes that I work with. And finally, if you want to learn how to progress, regress, coach, and cue your clients more effectively, it's all in there. Go to completecoachcertification.com to learn more. And without any further ado, let's get back to this awesome episode with Julia Glantz. So along those same lines, what types of things can our female clients and athletes do from a nutritional perspective to help support their body and just make sure that they're really fueling themselves appropriately during these various menstrual phases? Totally. So during the first half of your cycle, so follicular phase, you are more carbohydrate sensitive. And because of this, your body is able to tap into those stores better, which is what also helps you, you know, increase your power output output during that time. So obviously you want to train or fuel with protein, carbohydrates prior to any high intensity training and honor that. Now it becomes less of a, you know, time sensitive fueling strategy during the first half as it is during the second half, because in the second half of your cycle, with progesterone increasing, you're a little bit more catabolic. So you want to make sure you're definitely fueling with protein before your weight training sessions, before your cardio sessions, because you don't want to start breaking down muscle, obviously. So making sure you're eating pre-workout, you know, within 30 minutes, even if it's just, you know, like one cupped hand of carbohydrates. So like 15, 30 grams, whatever it is, same with protein, 30 grams of protein, 15 grams of protein, right? It doesn't have to be something huge, but especially for those who work out first thing in the morning and might not eat before training during that second half of the cycle is very important for you to do so. So you can best adapt from the training. 
and have the energy. So really just an easy way to put it is like consistent balanced meals at consistent meal times during the second half of your cycle has to be a priority. And you want to make sure you're eating at consistent meal times because you don't want an added stressor on your body of fasting too long or, you know, dipping too low, your blood sugar dipping too low because your body's already in a stress sensitive state. Let's not add on to that by, you know, restricting calories, restricting carbohydrates, fasting too long, et cetera. Yeah. That's such a great point. And that's, you know, people love to argue about stuff on the internet. I don't know if you've noticed that people love to argue on the internet, but I really like to use that term fueling with my clients, with my athletes now getting away from, you know, even if they want fat loss, still getting them in this mindset of you have to fuel your body appropriately. And so I love that you're talking about that throughout the cycle, right? But especially on the back end, because what most people don't understand is that stress is stress at some level. So just because you're not stressing your body with a workout doesn't mean your body isn't in a stress state based on what's going on internally. So I love that you're talking about that and talking about fueling appropriately throughout the cycle, but especially on those back two weeks. Yeah, exactly. And especially as, you know, an athlete, you think of like, oh, this feels easy because what feels hard to an athlete is like you're on the floor exhausted, right? That is like, oh, that was a hard workout. Your body doesn't feel the same. That's like a very high workout, but training sessions can still be tiring when your heart rate's up. That's a stressor on your body. So it's like, even though your rate of perceived exertion as an athlete might be a little bit lower for, you know, a certain training session, your body still is seeing that as a stressor, even though it might not feel as hard. This is something, I mean, I am still learning because I am, you know, I love training hard and I'm still learning that like, okay, when I push myself too hard, I notice I'm, you know, bloated, can't sleep, brain fog, like all of these other symptoms come with it. And I am now only making that connection after going years and like decade almost of like not even understanding what hormones are doing and why, like, why am I feeling this way? So it's really important for everyone to just be tuned into their body, where they're at in their cycle and how they feel after training and making note of how are they adapting? How are they feeling outside of training? Like in terms of their mental clarity, their sleep, their energy, all of this. So All things to consider. One thing I did not touch on in terms of training throughout the cycle is during ovulation, right right before ovulation, when estrogen peaks, estrogen can also increase joint laxity. So just something to consider as a coach is like, okay, if you have, you know, high intensity impact training, whether it's plyometrics or a lot of jump sequences or cutting or whatever it is, especially under fatigue, something to notice or something to take note of when training female clients. Just, you know, okay. ask where they're at in their cycle yes. and, and see. Not saying they can't cut or jump or do sprint or do any of that during that time, because obviously you can, but just make note of how's their, you know, recovery first of all, are they, how's their readiness? Are they able to do this and just honor where they're at? Because it is a a factor. So yes, something to think about, but. So this actually goes seamlessly into my next question because a couple of years ago now, scary how long I've been doing this, but (laughs) I had my good friend Menahem Brody come on and we talked about you know, the menstrual cycle and how it impacts some of the athletes that he works with. He works with a lot of cyclists and a lot of my clients at the gym and people that go to the gym, a lot of my female clients were like, oh my gosh, thank you for having this show. Thank you for talking about this. And then they were like passive aggressive, like, well, how come you never talk to me about my cycle? Mm. And I'm like, okay. So I guarantee there's a lot of guys that are listening to this show right now. And they're like, this is important. I can see the role. I can see the value in this. At the same time, they're thinking, how do I go about asking somebody about this? So walk us through that. How does a guy approach one of his female clients or athletes and have, or just start 
this discussion about, you know, where are you at in your cycle? How can I take better care of you with your training? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, literally just what you said was perfect. Where are you at in your cycle? I want to make sure I'm, you know, adapting and modifying your training to best support your body. And that will empower her so much to be open about it, to say, here's where I'm at. Here's how I'm feeling. And honestly, I think it might be more of a diff like a little bit more difficult than that, because a lot of women honestly aren't tracking their cycle. And hopefully they are starting to see the importance of that now as this topic is being more discussed. But step one is, OK, maybe have the conversation of like, are you tracking your cycle? Let's utilize your hormone fluctuation, your natural hormone fluctuations to best support your body and getting the results that you want. So whatever is most important to that client, you talk to them about how to best support them to get the most out of their main goal, because that's what's most important, right? To them. Yeah, for sure. And so having that conversation of getting to know their specific goals, which you do anyway, now say, okay, now let's talk about where you're at in your cycle because I know specific fueling training strategies can best support your adaptations to get you to where you want to go in a way that feels a lot better for you. So we're not breaking you down. We're allowing your body to recover and get stronger and it will feel a lot more effortless to the woman when you sync your training and nutrition for with your cycle. Other than that, if you don't know, you could have this, you know, very intense training session that will support them in getting to where they want to go, like supporting their goals, obviously. But you could schedule that in the time where they're like, their rate of perceived exertion is higher. They're feeling fatigued already. They, you know, don't, they're not in the mood. They don't have the mental clarity. Like they didn't sleep. And then, you're just adding this other life stressor and are adding this other stressor onto their body. Sure. So having a simple conversation of like, okay, let's start, you know, utilizing this strategy to best support your body. And yep. any woman would be receptive to that. Yeah. See, I love that. And I think one of the things that you mentioned is so important. Number one, well, actually a couple of things, but number one is talking about it with context. And this is something that I talk to every coach that I work with about is finding context in why you do things. So I think universally as an industry, we can say a squat is a good activity, right? But why it's important is very contextual, right? Mm -hmm. Based on the person you're working with, because why a squat is beneficial to a fat loss client versus a hypertrophy client versus a power lifter versus an athlete. Well, the squat is universally beneficial, but how you would rationalize that or help different clients and athletes understand the value of it is different based on the context. And I think this is a great point for you. It's like, hey, whatever their goals are, try and give them context and help sell it based around, hey, you know, at this time of the month, you're gonna be your strongest. You're gonna be able to, you know, tolerate the most volume. Whatever the case is, if you can give them context, I think you're gonna immediately get more buy-in from this as well. 100%. And that is honestly one of the most important things because how the your client, your athlete perceives the workout and the importance of it is based from their own lens. You can do you can hammer in the message as much as you want. They're not going to hear it unless they see the value in it for themselves, their goals from their own perspective. So you have to get to know your individual human being that you're working with and learn just what's important to them and hear the words that they're saying and truly hear the words that they're saying, because that will give you the best tool to have a proper and like supportive conversation with them because everyone's different. Some people want to get stronger and will say, I want to get stronger. I want to feel stronger cool, you want to feel stronger, let's get after it during this phase. You want to grow a butt, cool, this is the best time for that, right? Like, you want to get faster, whatever it is, you know? So yes, hammering in that message of just seeing what's important to your client and utilizing this as a tool and as a strategy to best get the most, or to most, get the most out of their training. For sure. Okay, so... 
Let's take this one step further, because while I do feel like there are more people talking about training around the menstrual cycle and that sort of thing, one thing I don't hear people talk as much about is menopause. So obviously we all get older. I don't think anybody has hacked <laughs> that just yet. And if they do, they are going to be the wealthiest person on the planet. But when it comes to menopause, I would love to hear kind of a general breakdown there. Like what's changing inside the body? What's what's going on? And then from there, how do we need to adapt our training as a result of that? Yeah. So menopause is going 12 months without a period, you know, at the age of around whatever, 50-ish, give or take 10 years, right. five years, whatever. And 10 years before you even hit post-menopause is your transition. So you have your reproductive years, then you have this period of perimenopause, which is the transition phase, and then you hit post-menopause. So during this transition phase, your sex hormones are naturally declining-ish because it varies. And uh, I have this like beautiful picture in my head of this study. You can see these up and down spikes of what a female's hormones look like during perimenopause. And it can feel confusing because your cycles are irregular, sometimes they're shorter, and then they get longer. So it's really hard to cycle sync during this time, your training, whatever. Right. Uh, one thing to note is track, track how you feel, track your training. And obviously, you want to progress slowly and not slowly, but progressive overload during that time and always is so important. But during the time of perimenopause, when your hormones are fluctuating quite drastically, that's something to consider in terms of fueling your body appropriately. Because again, you don't want to add another stressor of fasting too long or not eating enough for your needs, not eating enough for your training demands, right? So understanding that this normal fluctuation is happening and it can affect your mood, your sleep, your recovery, your adaptations, and just knowing that your body is beautifully designed to do this and there's nothing wrong with you. First of all, that's so important for women to realize right. and they can still get the results they want. They just need to modify and adjust their training, their lifestyle, their nutrition a little bit in accordance to their phase of life. And a lot of women that I work with still try to do this high intensity workout day in and day out because it worked for them in their 20s. And when they're in this phase of life, their body is a little bit more stress sensitive. Their body is changing. They need a bigger stimulus, whether it's protein intake or heavier lifting to build and retain muscle and strength. They need to really manage, you know, sleep hygiene and other life stressors as best as possible to give them the best foundation of getting the results that they want. So, and this obviously goes for anybody, but especially you just have to be right. more dialed in, honestly, during that period. And then as you approach menopause and postmenopause, your hormones naturally decline. So you don't get the, you know, robust benefits of estrogen. However, you can use nutrition, you can use training, you can use these external strategies to not necessarily mimic the benefits of estrogen, but to still support your body in building muscle, supporting your heart health, supporting your immune health, supporting your bone health, etc. So nutrition and training is such a powerful, are both powerful strategies to make that transition of your hormones naturally declining a lot more smooth. And it all comes down yeah. to first managing your total stress load. Because if you're, you know, if that is too high, nothing else is going to work in your favor and the reason for that is because all of our hormones, you know, stem from our brain connection, whether it's our brain to our thyroid, whether it's our brain to our ovaries, brain to our adrenal glands, which pump out our stress hormones, your body will always prioritize keeping you safe. And with that, if you are too stressed too often, 
your body will pump out your stress hormone, which will then downregulate your thyroid hormone. Your thyroid hormone runs your metabolism. So downregulate slows down your metabolism and your body will downregulate reproduction. And that downregulates your sex hormones, your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, which then affects your ability to train hard, recover hard. It affects your sleep, your mood, your motivation. So again, stress is the baseline of what needs yeah. to be managed, especially during that time of perimenopause and postmenopause. I mean, it just keeps coming back to stress, doesn't it? Always. <laughs> like at, at every level, at every stage in the game, you realize like stress management is a real part of all this. If you want to see success, whether it's getting stronger, achieving the body comp that you want, you know, just enjoying life in the gym more. If your stress is just like way out of control, you're not going to see the results that you want. And there's definitely times in life when it's more obvious than others, mm -hmm. you know, you know, as I am in my middle forties at this point in time, you know, you definitely notice like, oh, if I am not sleeping well, if I'm not fueling my body appropriately, it shows off a lot more than it did when I was 20 and could, you know, do all the fun things and stay out super late on Saturday and still go in and squat pretty heavy on Sunday. Those days are not there anymore. So coming back to that idea of stress management at all phases of life, but especially in some of these key periods, I think is really important. Totally. Yes. And exactly like you said, like in your early 20s, it's different, but it's also, it's different not only because your body's different, but you're not, you don't have the life stressors you do. You don't have the kids, right. the family, the aging parents, the job, the finances, the bills, like, I mean, the list can go on. <laughs> so yes, really yes. just dialing down, making sure your body feels safe, supported, nourished, fueled, and using training as a way to promote all of those things and you know, benefit your mental health, physical health, strength, mentally, physically, all of that is so important. So yes, hammering in that message of managing total stress for sure. <laughs> Very important. Very important. Okay. So one thing you've mentioned a couple of times is intermittent fasting. And I really want to get your thoughts on this because one thing that, that I've noticed, you know, I've been doing this 20 plus years now is that a lot of people assume what is true in the fat loss space is universally true with all spaces, right? So you see a lot of people that are taking the intermittent fasting message and they're taking it across the board and making it universally applicable. So I would love to hear your thoughts on just intermittent fasting as a whole, and then maybe certain populations that it would be better for, as well as maybe certain populations that it would be less appropriate for. Yes. So this is probably one of the biggest things I have changed my mind on over the last like okay. six years. So okay. I, I delved into intermittent fasting. What is it like? I don't know, 2015, 16, and then started implementing it when I was in grad school. So talk about grad okay. school starting my own business. Oh, this is also a great time to fast because it helps longevity and mental clarity. Right. So I did 16, eight, 16 hours of fasting uh, every day, if not longer, because then, oh, you don't get hungry is the thing, right? So because right. you're running right. on stress hormones during your fast, especially as a woman, you don't right. get hungry because cortisol is giving you that energy. So whatever plot twist. Anyway, long story short, what I have changed my mind on is intermittent fasting is not as beneficial for certain populations than it is for your obese, your insulin resistant, or men for body okay. composition purposes. Now, right. intermittent fasting is not for Obviously, if you have any history of disordered eating, eating disorders, if you're lean, have irregular cycles due to whether it's amenorrhea or just low body composition, longer for longer term fasting, not appropriate for those that population. Or if you are in a phase of life where you are highly stressed, also not appropriate. So it can be appropriate for body composition, like I said, for men, if you have insulin resistance, if you're obese, et cetera, it's a tool. It is not the holy grail. It's a tool in your toolbox that you can utilize to confine your eating window and maybe 
reduced calories for these certain people. So when it comes to athletes who are lean and general population who's already lean, like intermittent fasting for body composition might actually backfire because it is a stressor because your body will start to downregulate certain functions, especially like your metabolism, if you're just not eating enough in general. And when you're compressing your eating window to six to eight hours, that's kind of hard to reach your protein goals to build and maintain muscle, which run your metabolism, and maybe to even just get enough calories that is needed, especially if you're an athlete. Now, you can sync your fasting slash not eating window to your circadian rhythm in terms of, okay, well, eat when you're awake, don't eat when you're asleep, but more so end your eating window about three to four hours before bedtime. And this will help your body. We have like this natural migrating motor complex. It's what's, is what it's called the MMC pathway. What this pathway does is naturally cleanse and clear our digestive tract in between meals. So this process takes about four hours. Well, it starts two hours after you finish your last bite of food, and then it takes another two-ish hours to complete a cycle. So allowing your body maybe four hours between meals and allowing your body four hours before bedtime, because this process naturally slows down as we sleep, this can be helpful. So a 12-hour overnight fast, you end eating three to four hours before bed, eat breakfast within, you know, one to two hours of waking up, assuming you're in bed for eight hours, hopefully. So that is something supportive for most people, if not all people. And when you start to prolong that up to 16 hours, you start getting a little bit of a stress response which is fine short-term acutely. But if you do this every single day, day in and day out, especially maybe during the second half of your cycle where you're already more stress sensitive, your body will listen because it's so beautifully designed to pay attention to your surroundings and it will start to downregulate other functions. So initially you may find that intermittent fasting is working for you. You feel great, energized, mentally clear. All of a sudden you're starting to gain weight, holding on to fat, become more fatigued, brain fog, sleeps, getting impaired, all of these things might start happening. So again, N equals one, listen to your body and just know that intermittent fasting is a tool. It's not the holy grail, especially when it comes to body composition. I love it. Wow. That was a very thorough answer. <laughs> so one one other topic that, that I'm interested in is fueling like young female athletes because I've got a young female athlete in my house now. She's not quite a teenager yet, but getting close. And I've worked with, you know, literally hundreds, if not thousands over the years of, you know, late teens, early 20s. How do you talk to them about fueling their body, right? Because so much of our society and social media is driven around a certain look, right? Or a certain body composition. How do you have these discussions with them about, fueling appropriately to take care of their bodies. And like you've used, you've used the term honor numerous times. And I like that. How do you teach them to honor their bodies and fuel them appropriately and use it as a vehicle performance for performance, not just like a specific look or body composition? Yeah, this is hard because I mean, as you know, when you're growing up, when you're younger, when you don't have this like perspective, you don't have hindsight and <laughs> perspective. You just are like, oh, this is what I want right now. This might get me to where I want to go without knowing the repercussions of the future and not necessarily caring about the repercussions of the future. So it unfortunately is, it comes down to education, of course, and empowering the athlete. Again, talking to them in a way that makes them feel like, oh, this is going to get me the best result for what's most important to me because they'll listen to that. They, a lot of athletes, and I'm just thinking about all my past teammates, like no matter how many times you tell them eating is important, they're not going to do it if they don't want to. But it's like, (laughs) you have to make sure they are well-educated and feel empowered and understand the repercussions of not 
fueling appropriately, which can lead to increased injury, poor training adaptations. Oh, you're working so hard here. You're getting like, you're putting in all this effort. We want to make sure you're seeing the results from putting in this effort. This is what you need to do. You need to make sure you're eating appropriately, all these things, right? Or it's, you want to get faster on the field. Okay. Well, if you're not eating, you know, appropriately again, whatever, however you want to say it, you're, you're not going to get these, you're not going to be able to hit those top speeds. You need carbohydrates to hit those top speeds, to hit that high intensity. And if you don't hit that high intensity in training, you're not going to hit it on the field. I mean, you might, but like you, you want to train (laughs) to that level to push your capacity more. So it's really making sure, again, you just have to communicate to the individual in front of you of what's important to them, but also explaining that, you know, relative energy deficiency in sport, Red S, is is real. And it happens to not only athletes, general population too, who want to take on fasted workouts, intermittent fasting, low carb, keto, all at the same time to reach this body composition goal, but they're everything else in their life suffers, whether it's their energy, their training adaptation, their sleep. And then it really does affect, especially if you have red S, like it's going to affect your heart health, your bone health, your immune health. All of those things sound a little, you know, too far in the future for like a young athlete, but talking about injury prevention, reaching their fullest potential is maybe more relatable and that will hit land with them more than, oh, you need to protect your bone health. Like, unless they've had a fracture or something like broken a bone, that might land. But, you know, your heart health and all of that stuff might not land with them. So, yeah. Well, again, it it comes back to context. Yeah. Right. If you're talking about something that's potentially 40, 50, 60 years down the line, they don't have the scope or the perspective to think about that. Versus, oh, you want to get faster or you want to get stronger or you want to come back better off this injury. Like you said, those are things that are a little bit more shorter term, immediate gratification. And hopefully it gets you the buy in you need to start building those habits that we know are are going to be valuable long term, but maybe sell them on the short term vision, knowing that you'll get some long term payoff. Exactly. Exactly. So it all comes down to just your relationship with your athlete or client and communicating and finding that common ground of what's important to them. Yep. Okay. I love it. All right. Big question time. Let's do it. You could alter the space time continuum and give young Julia glands one piece of advice. What would it be? Okay. I knew you were going to ask this and I was thinking (laughs) about it last night and I was like, you know what? I don't have an answer. And then something just hit me like a brick wall. And I was like, Oh, wow. I need this advice right now. Essentially, I would tell myself, stop comparing to people. Stop comparing yourself to people that are 10 years ahead of you. Like, enjoy Mm, where you're at right now. Embrace the journey. And this goes, you know, for my younger self, trying to be this college strength coach, trying to be this registered dietitian, trying to have this online business, trying to reach all these amazing goals that light me up, but I want them right now (laughs) because I see what's possible. Allowing myself grace in the journey when I was younger and honestly still to this day will not only make the journey more, you know, enjoyable, but it will also reduce, you know, my total stress load too, which as we talked about is very important. So that's what I would say. Just stop comparing yourself to anyone really, but especially people that are, you know, years and years ahead of you on their own journey. Yeah. Well, I think we both know the comparison game isn't great for us for a lot of reasons. And one thing that I always have to remind myself of, because I think we all get caught up in it Mm -hmm. at some point in time, right? Is just reminding yourself that everybody's situation is unique, right? So even at my age, looking around, oh man, that person is killing it, whatever. But their life situation is totally different than mine, right? Maybe they have no kids or maybe they're single. Like just stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Like play your own game, be comfortable with where you're at and have like the long-term vision for where you're going and just 
a little little baby steps every day, right? One hundred percent. Yes. Trust yourself. Trust your journey. And yeah, baby steps at a time. And you're exactly where you need to be. And that's a yes. constant reminder that you know I still have to tell myself, and definitely would want to tell my younger self. Yes. Very cool. Okay. Last but not least, lightning round. So in your case, I got four questions, fairly short answers, but let's go. Number one, the best part of working primarily online is? I get to work from anywhere. Ah, yes. Yes. Because you are everywhere. You <laughs> I am. I travel a lot. Looks like. <laughs> yes. As you should. As you should. I love it. Okay. Number two, how has all that great relationship advice I passed off to you gone? Has that helped? <laughs> I love talking to you and maybe we should start a, you know, love preparations podcast next. <laughs> That'll be our side hustle. Yes. For those of you that are not in the know, which is basically all of you, one of our mutually good friends, Eric Otter, got married last year, had a wedding reception in Memphis, and I got to hang out with Julia and Eric, her boyfriend, for quite a long period of time. And there were probably a few margaritas consumed. And she, if we could have recorded a podcast of you just asking me relationship questions, I think it would have hit really well. Oh, it would have taken off. It would have been so helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was definitely waxing philosophical. So maybe it's probably a good thing that that's not out there. But we can uh, bring it back anytime. It. Just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, number three. When was the last time you were on the soccer pitch? A couple weeks ago, randomly, because okay. I'll play like randomly, random pickup games. They're just not yeah. as fun because you can't like you touch someone on the arm and it's a foul and I just get oh, annoyed. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> it's not the same yeah. as competing on a Friday night in college. It's just it's not. It's not. It's not the same. Okay. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Julia Glantz? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Anything. Yes, so much. So I am coming out with a brand new course that is truly like my heart and soul into this course. It has taken everything that I have learned about women's health, women's hormones, women's physiology, everything I've done with my clients. And I've created a course, a hormone the Hormone Balance Blueprint. And this is a four-phase course that helps women optimize the key hormones affecting their energy, their weight, their metabolism, their mood, their menstrual cycle in a way that educates them, makes them feel empowered in their choices because, again, every individual needs a plan for their individual life in order to make it work and in a way that's actually sustainable for them. So truly teaching women how to create a plan for them based off their own unique individual needs is so important because there's so many women out there that are taking advice from the internet that are going to the extremes or feel like they have to go to the extremes, whether it's nutrition or exercise routines, and it leaves them feeling burnt out and starting to gain weight and just not seeing the results that they want. So getting this information and this course out there is really exciting to me. I'll also have a free masterclass as well, just to help women understand what hormone imbalances even are, why do they happen, and kind of like what to do about it. So really educating and helping women understand and feel empowered in their body is huge for yeah. me to get that message out there. And then in the future, future, I think creating a certification. And this is the first oh, nice. time I am saying this out loud in public, okay. but it is on the horizon. And so I'm putting it out there. I love it. Well, now you're going to have built-in accountability because myself and everybody that listens to this show is going to be on you now about when that circle When's it coming so. out? Give me a few years, but it'll That's come. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Julia, it's been amazing catching up with you. As always, just love our conversations. It was great having you on. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great stuff you're working on? Yes, everything is all on Instagram. Come hang out with me at Julia Glanz and I post all the good things on women's health, hormones, metabolism, and any updates that I'm that's going on in my life, I'll share right over there. 
I love it. I love it. Well, we'll make sure we get that link in the show notes. And again, Julia, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Julia Glanz. Really hope you enjoyed it. Julia is such a wealth of knowledge. She's so passionate about this topic. And I hope the more that we have these kind of honest and open discussions about the menstrual cycle, about training and fueling your body appropriately around it is going to make the topic less taboo. And again, I have no issue putting myself out there. I've done this long enough. Uh, I know what my, my strengths and weaknesses are. This is not something that I was comfortable talking about early on in my career. I felt like I was invading somebody's privacy versus now being able to flip it and understand like, hey, look, this may be a little bit awkward up front, especially if I don't know somebody very well. But if we can have this discussion, if we can be open and honest about it, then ultimately I can help you have better results in the gym or on the field court or pitch. So huge topic. And I hope it's something that we become more and more comfortable talking about as the years go forward. So if you enjoyed this episode, please do me one small favor. If you're not already subscribed to or following the show, please do that right now today iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon store, wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. And if you haven't noticed, we're really cranking up the production value here. You can find the podcast on all those areas. You can find reels on IG. You can find shorter segments on YouTube. Man, we're really trying to crank the show up. Shout out to my guy, Paul. He is doing an amazing job on the back end with the show. So I really hope you enjoy it, and I hope it's making you a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you, and we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.